Welcome to episode 307 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 307 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hi, Melanie. How are you? I am good. Are you struggling with jet lag? <laughs> I actually felt great yesterday, but because my youngest was up multiple times last night with a GI bug, I think that's actually why I don't feel great this morning. I don't think it's as much jet lag as much as it's just interrupted sleep multiple times at night is never good for feeling as mentally sharp as you normally am are. I can't even string my words together properly. I'm grateful for this. I feel like the more and more interviews I do, I feel like more and more people are focusing on the importance of sleep. Like I feel like every interview I do, if the question comes up of like, what is the most important thing? 
It's often sleep. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's funny. I got back from London on sa- on Sunday, and the first thing I did was I ate a good sized dinner, and and literally two hours later, just went right didn't early bedtime, and I felt great on Monday. You know, I got light exposure. I went to the gym. But I think it's a combination of solo parenting. And then, you know, my older son and I were both up dealing with my younger son not feeling so great last night. My kids are pretty independent as teenagers, but when they're making a lot of noise, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to ignore them. Yeah, I can imagine I cannot be a parent. <laughs> That's my thoughts on that. I have two really random things to talk about. One is have you heard of a brand called Safe Catch? Yes. Oh, you have? Nice. They reached out to me just randomly. They wanted to send me some samples. I'm so obsessed. I wanted to share them with listeners. So for listeners, they are a brand that makes canned and those little like packet thing, like I don't know what they're called. The packets that are flexible, like packets, I guess, bags of both tuna and salmon. And their main thing is that they extensively test for mercury levels, which I just think is so important because I'm really concerned about the levels of mercury and fish that we're eating, especially as a huge fish lover. I mean, it's great for the salmon, which salmon does tend to be low in mercury anyways, but with tuna, I think it's like a really big problem because the levels in tuna can vary so wildly. So this is a way for you to get your tuna and not worry about mercury. I'm looking at their website and they said that they're Elite wild tuna is 10 times stricter levels than the FDA mercury limit. Their wild albacore tuna is two and a half times stricter than the FDA mercury limit. And then their salmon is below the mercury limit as well. I'm not finding where they said how far below, but I will have to find some literature about it and put it in the show notes. But in any case, so I just wanted to share that with listeners as a nice resource. So that is at safecatch.com. And it's funny, they they told me about this like back in October or November. I haven't shared it yet. And so my coupon had expired, but I got them to reactivate it. So that's why I have to share this now because it only goes through the end of March. But the code Melanie Avalon will get you 20% off, which is amazing. So stock up. And again, this is something that you could really stock up on because it's cans and those little pouch things. The word is escaping me. Do you eat canned tuna or salmon? Not a ton. And I'll, I'll be completely transparent. I think after my high mercury levels, probably seven, eight years ago, the one thing that my functional medicine team and I've talked about is to eat less fish. And so for me, I eat fish, but very sparingly. Like I may only eat fish once or twice a month for full disclosure, but it's not that I don't like fish. I just don't want to expose myself to the amount of mercury that I was before. And even in our house, like we do have some canned tuna if, you know, there's no other protein options, but it's never really my favorite. Like if I'm going to have fish now, I'll usually pick the less predatory fish that it's less of a concern, but I certainly, I mean, I love tuna. I'll be completely transparent, but I think it's, it's allowed me to have more of a wilditarian diet, to have a more variety of proteins. And I think that's, that's probably been beneficial for me. Like our family, we definitely during the pandemic realized that we could like lean into some wilditarian meats and we found several that we really enjoyed. So more variety with land animals than water fish. I was going to say, I'm happy to hear you say that. I'm not happy that you went through the mercury experience, but I'm happy that you understand 
the issues with it. I just, I really think it's a really big problem that most people are just not aware of. That's why I'm really excited about this brand, especially with so many people eating canned tuna. And like I said, tuna in particular, like, cause there's like the list of fish that tend to be low mercury, which is so shellfish tend to be the lowest. So that's like scallops and salmon. That's one of the reasons I eat so many scallops. And then after that, I mean, it's really like salmon and actually farm salmon is tends to be lower than wild salmon that I actually don't eat wild salmon for that reason. Tilapia tends to be low and then like rainbow trout tends to be low. But beyond that, there really aren't, I get really nervous about fish. So I think this is a great resource for people. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that it's nice that there are companies that are becoming more savvy because there are marketing opportunities to, you know, connect with individuals that are going to go the extra mile. Like I know for us, if we're going to buy fish, we usually will swing through Whole Foods or there's a fishmonger in the the area that I live in. So we'll usually go through there. But my husband's super picky. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, one of his hobbies is deep sea fishing. So he's really picky. Like we have to buy the day of if we're going to eat it. And therefore we don't eat it often because it tends to be a little more high maintenance. And for me, it's it's like I'm no longer in Washington, D.C., so things aren't as close. And so having to plan the extra amount of time in the car to go get fish, I'm like, I have to really, really want it. And generally, that's that's become like less and less common, especially because my kids, with the exception of shrimp, they really don't love shellfish or seafood. So maybe other than lobster tails, but for them, they're not big fish people. And so we just, we've gotten to the point where like, you know, we've made it so many times and they're picking at it and then they're not finishing it. And then they're destroying the refrigerator after dinner because they're still looking for more food. And it's just made it so much easier. So I tend to order it when I'm out, if I know that I'm in a restaurant where I'm going to get high quality. Nice. Yeah. That's a whole tangent. If you go down the research rabbit hole about fish fraud, it is shocking. Like it's shocking. They've done tests and the amount of fish that's just not what it says it is at normal stores, like at normal supermarkets is shocking, like mislabeled. So even then you can't, like you don't even know if you're getting what you're getting. I did just check and the safe catch fish is wild caught. So that would be some wild caught salmon. Yeah, that was my tangent on fish. I had something else, but I can save it. I can save it for next time. Anything from you before we jump in? No, other than there are many reasons why London is one of my favorite cities and the food is definitely part of that. Like by far one of my favorite foodie cities. I think a lot of people don't realize the diversity in the food that food options that are there. And my cousin, I jokingly told her that she needs to be my wife because everything, every restaurant she picked out that we ate at for like lunch and dinner was amazing and we even had Russian food. We had Indian food. I mean, we had dim sum and we had everything you could imagine. And we did not have one less than stellar meal. It was pretty awesome. Oh, wow. That is, I feel like that's something you don't normally hear about London or England. Oh, London shopping is like second. To, I mean, it, I tell people all the time, there's nothing in the United States that's as good as some places in Europe. And well, technically that's the UK, but yeah, I mean, it's next level. It's, I just think it's such a, you know, the, it's a huge financial economy and it just reminds me of why I love being there on multiple levels. Like I love the architecture, I love the food and I just love everything about London. It's a great city. 
What was your favorite thing that you did tourist wise? Because I've been there so many times, as has my cousin, you know, for us, it was more about, you know, just spending time together. And so every day it was kind of a similar thing. We allowed ourselves to kind of sleep in, which is easy given the fact there's a five hour time difference and our bodies thought it was the middle of the night when we were getting up. But I would say experiencing definitely the food, the cuisine, I would say being able to shop with another woman as opposed to shopping with like my husband and kids where no one wants to go shopping. And let me be clear, I did not buy anything for myself while I was there. I was definitely kind of gaming the ideas of, okay, when I come back to Europe or when I go to Europe in later in the the year, I'm going to make some purchases, but trying to kind of price things out because whether people know this or not, sometimes sometimes the exchange rate works in your favor and it makes sense to purchase some things and sometimes it does not. And so it didn't make sense to buy things there. I can wait till I'm in Portugal in April. So I would say the favorite things we did was just connecting and just exercising and just being outside. It was 50 degrees. It was super warm for that time of year. All the sightseeing, we've done all the big sites before. You know, Westminster Abbey is probably one of my favorite things to do in London. And so just having the opportunity to know that we didn't have to rush from one historical place to another because we've been there enough. Like there, I have a favorite hotel that, that I stay in and actually ironically enough, her and her family prefer staying there. And so it just it's a great part of the city where you can just walk around and everyone's very nice. And then ironically, I was watching a movie on the way home and it was set in the same hotel we stayed in. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that's total validation that we stayed in the right place. So what movie? It's called Burnt. Has Bradley Cooper in it? Is it like, is he a chef? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. But it's set like in the same hotel we were in. Just, I didn't even realize that until I started watching. I was like, oh my God, that's our hotel. (laughs) I was like, what a coincidence, but it was wonderful. It's just nice. I mean, for anyone that's listening that has kids and people you're responsible for, it's just nice to have like four days where you just do what you want to do and just enjoy the company of someone that you love and my cousin's like the sister I never had. So, you know, we can talk about all the things and enjoy each other's company. And the irony is we brought some of the same clothes. We didn't even realize that we have similar taste, which we knew. But as she was pulling stuff out and hanging it in the closet, I was like, oh my God, I have that same sweater with me. Oh my gosh, I have that same jacket, not even realizing it. So just togetherness and, you know, time away from the family was a lot of fun. Nice. One of the books I'm reading right now is called The Fun Habit. I'm really excited to interview the author, but he talks all about this, like the importance of having fun, <laughs> like for like the actual like life and health benefits, how we we disregard it as something that adults don't do or isn't important, but he makes the case it's just as important as so many other things in life. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people travel, like there are vacations like this, and then there are vacations where you're only in a place for a certain amount of time. You've never been there. You want to see this attraction and that attraction and eat this place and not eat that place. And for us, it was like, we saw a play. We went out for a fabulous dinner. We had an amazing lunch. I mean, Book of Mormon. Oh, the musical. Yes. And I've never seen that before. And it was quite funny. So if listeners are not familiar with it, it was created by the same people that did South Park, which explains the humor in the movie. And I didn't actually realize that until right before we were leaving. And my 15-year-old shared that with me. And I actually was like, thank you for sharing that with me. Because the whole time I was like, oh my God, this is like a South Park episode. <laughs> a little outrageous. I listened to it when it came out. So I was young and it kind of scandalized me. Like I thought it was very, <laughs> I was like, oh. 
Yeah, it, it's a little raunchy. Like I was trying to, and my kids were like, "Well, what does that word mean?" And I was like, "Well, a little like if I were if I were of that religion, I might be a little. I would be definitely offended, but I'm I'm not Mormon. But it was it was entertaining, and I love going to the theater. And it was just nice to be in the London theater district and enjoy a really nice dinner and just all that togetherness. And I agree with you. I think a lot of times people feel like they have to plan out every single minute of a vacation. And I'm a huge advocate of some things being planned and then other things not being planned. Yes. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, Literally every single day of my life, I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up a Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. So to start things off, we have a question from Chris, and the subject is circadian rhythm. And Chris says... 
Hi, I'm listening to you and Cynthia in your latest podcast. It's always refreshing to listen to you both answer a reader's question. I just finished reading The Circadian Code by Dr. Sachin Panda. I was thinking I came onto it via one of your earlier podcasts. Anyway, I'm hoping that you and Cynthia have either read or will read this book. I feel like he really advocates for everybody to eat early in the day, and I know you say you like to eat later. My mom is like this. She works best at night. She's 86 and still cooks everything three times a day for her and my father. He has Alzheimer's. I keep wanting to tell her to stop eating at a certain time, but I know we're probably all different with cortisol. The point I want to make is I'd love to hear you do a podcast about their circadian code ideology. Maybe you have, and I just haven't come across it yet. He makes a strong case for everyone to time their meals early in the day. I've been doing it for a week now, and I noticed my hunger levels have definitely dropped off like you said they would. I was rather surprised. I have been intermittent fasting for five years now, and I stalled out on weight loss, especially because of COVID. But since I have been following his ideology of having breakfast as the main meal and my last meal at seven or eight hours later, I've had way more energy on way less food. I don't snack between my two meals, and I've been realizing how much better this works for me. I'm used to waiting until 12 or 1 to have my first meal. Now I make sure I have a high-protein breakfast with salmon and eggs or whatever meat I have around, and I always like to do a protein shake then, but I up my protein since I work out. I've noticed I don't need to worry as much as I have more energy. I'm still doing protein shakes now and then, but not like I was. And I'm also noticing that I'm intuitively eating more now, and I also notice that when I finally have a piece of fruit, like the typical blueberries or kiwi, It tastes like candy. It seems like my eating is way more intuitive now. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the good work with Cynthia. You guys are awesome. He or she, because Chris could be either way, also says, since reading his book, I am now more focused on time-restricted eating with a window of seven to eight hours, and I love cutting my eating time off at 5 p.m., And he also advocates making the same meal times, but sometimes that just doesn't work. So I try to focus on my eating window and my non-snacking in between my two meals. I just can't believe how eating this big breakfast first thing when I get up in the morning has given me way more energy. And then my second meal is way lighter and when I eat because I'm just not as hungry. Again, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts and Cynthia's thoughts. Well, Chris, thank you for your question. I am very familiar with this book. In fact, I'm sitting at my desk in my office and I can see it. Literally, it's across from my vision. I'm a huge fan of eating aligned with our chronobiology. And for most people, obviously there are exceptions, but most people actually do better with insulin sensitivity earlier in the day. And I would imagine if you have parents that are in their 80s that you are you are at a minimum middle-aged. And so I do encourage individuals that are middle-aged to really lean into eating when we are most insulin sensitive. And and the average middle-aged person is losing insulin sensitivity as they are aging. And so I'm not at all surprised that you feel great really having a larger breakfast and then eating a second meal seven to eight hours later. I think you're really harnessing the power of your circadian rhythms and circadian biology And this is actually something that, you know, from my perspective, I may not eat eight hours after my first meal, but I'm definitely closing my feeding window before dark. And that really works well for me. And ironically enough, my cousin who was with me, who's also a middle-aged person, we were laughing about the fact that we stop eating by five or six o'clock at night. That has worked really well for us. And 
I just want to encourage you to continue to leaning into things that make you feel good. And as it pertains to your parents, the adage of the old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know, that applies in many ways. I think for some people, it becomes very much a social opportunity for them if they're eating three times a day and sitting down with their loved ones. And so I I think sometimes it's been my experience that most of my elderly patients and clients really aren't eating a lot of food. She may not be eating large boluses of food, but may just enjoy the social aspects. But if she's not open or receptive to eating less frequently, I think you just have to respect, you know, what works for them at, at this time in their lives. I do know that when my grandmother was getting older, she got to a point where she said that she just ate two small meals a day. That's really all she was hungry for. And so, so much of this is really honoring our own biology and physiology and bioindividuality. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I agree with all of that, obviously. So you've read the book. Mm-hmm. I'm actually really surprised that I haven't read this book. Um, I've listened to a lot of interviews that he's done. Have you had him on your show? I have not. I have not. It's funny. I think because he's really like a true researcher. I I always feel like the researchers are the ones that are sometimes harder (laughs) to get on podcasts. I think about Lisa Moscone as a good example of that. I keep saying, eventually I'm going to have her on the podcast. She wrote XX Brain in case listeners are not familiar with her. But yeah, I actually was talking about some of his most recent research in two medical conferences I spoke at last week that was really validating eating less frequently. And so I'm, I'm definitely pretty aligned with a lot of his methodology and research. And obviously, bioindividuality really really plays in a lot here. I think if you're a younger individual and you have more insulin sensitivity, you can probably eat later into the day. But I find that most of my female patients and clients don't do well if they have a large bolus of food and then try to go to bed two hours later. I really want to try to reach out to him. I really like his research as well. And I agree with everything that you said. Again, I've talked about this at length before. I wish I was an earlier eating person. Like I wish that worked for me. I really, really do. It it just doesn't for me personally. I do think there is an aspect of individuality. So I do think some people naturally do better eating earlier and some people naturally do better eating later. And when I say later, I don't mean necessarily what I do, which is like really late. And I've talked about this a lot as well. I wrote a long blog post about this. So if you go to melanieavalon.com slash eating timing, I tried to really look at all the studies and see what the takeaway was for me about when it seemed like objectively people should be eating. And it did seem to be eating during, for me, this was just my perspective. It did seem to be eating during daytime hours. And my takeaway was probably more later afternoon to early evening, just based on pure hormonal release of like insulin, ghrelin, leptin. That's what I was mostly looking at. So like hormones related to eating and hunger, when were they naturally ebbing and flowing just based on the time? But what I think is really amazing about this, Chris, is that it sounds like you you were doing something different and I think it's super awesome that you were open to trying this and that it did work for you. That's super amazing. And it seemed like it was the thing that you, you were talking about being on a weight stall and this was something that helped you, you know, push through a plateau that you were on. And it sounds like you're assimilating food better probably since you're feeling the need for less protein even. And not to say that we should focus on less protein, but it it sounds like you eating this way is probably helping you better assimilate and utilize the food. So I do encourage people to find the, the rhythm that works for them. For a lot of people, it possibly is earlier. 
If people find a rhythm that really does work for them and it is later and they're happy and it's working in their life and they're sleeping and they're working and they're, you know, it's working with their weight and their health. I also don't want people to completely over freak out and think they have to be eating earlier as well. But yes, so to-do list to read that book and reach out to him. It's a good book and it's not very thick. Like right now I'm I'm trying to get through Ari Witten's book, Eat for Energy. And then I have to get through Dave Asprey's because I'm interviewing both of them next week. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> it's Super Bowl weekend this weekend. And I think I will be by myself because my husband's going on a snowboarding trip with his buddies. And I think my teenagers are both going to friends' houses. This is going to be a first. And I'm reframing this, Melanie, as the universe is giving me an opportunity to do more prep for the week. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to look at this negatively. This is all a positive. My kids are in a good place. My husband's going away with his friends. I just got back from a trip. This is all good. Oh, wow. So does Dave have a new book coming out or is this for his other book? Yeah. Yeah. He has a new book. I, I think he's on the every other year plan, which is pretty prolific when you think about it. I'm still like mulling additional book ideas around in my head, but yeah, that's, he's like a workhorse. <laughs> he manages to do that because it, as you know, like the book writing process is not like instantaneous. It takes time. And I think he must be working on the next book when his, the next book comes out. It's amazing. Oh, wow. That's really exciting. I really liked Ari's book as well. Oh, good to know. It's it's literally sitting in, underneath my phone to remind me that that's the next thing to work on. Yeah, he was great too. So, well, very exciting. Shall we go on to our next question, which is a lingering question from our AMAs? Yes, this is from Amy. Amy says, can you use the juve for 10 minutes all over your body or only 10 minutes a day on a part of your body? This is a very good question for Melanie. Awesome. So I did specifically put this in today's episode because we are sponsored in part today by Juve. So I thought we might as well answer a question related to it. So for people who are not familiar, Juve makes red and near infrared light therapy devices. I've been using mine for years. I really don't know what I would do without it. So a few different things. One, I actually, it's funny because they... They sort of made a mode for this when they released the newer version, but I've been doing this from the beginning, which is I actually use it for ambient light. So I have it on pretty much 24-7, but not super close. Well, when I'm at my desk, it is a little bit close to me, but I just find that the red light really helps counteract a lot of the blue light that we're exposed to, and it's wonderful waking up in the morning and then in the evening, I use it to light my whole apartment at night. So speaking of circadian rhythm and sleep, I find it so helpful for that. But the main reason people are using it is for targeted treatment. So it helps with inflammation, muscle soreness, skin, so many things. And so her question is basically, can you use it for 10 minutes all over your body or only a part of your body? You can do your whole body in in a day. So the answer would be you could do 10 minutes all over your body. And if you have like one of the like larger units, like the solo, then you could do a more of a full body treatment at once. I, well, I do have the solo, but then I have like the mini, which would be more like your face or a smaller area. And then they have the go, which is like very small areas. That's handheld. I take that while traveling, which is awesome. But it's really a good investment, especially if you're going, like I go to restore hyper wellness. That's where I do my cryotherapy. And I have a daily membership there, which by the way, I really recommend restore they're getting bigger and bigger. So they're in a lot of cities and they have cryotherapy, they have sauna, they have red light. So that would be a good way to try red light to see if you like it. They have compression suits for your legs. 
And I think the daily membership, if you're going every day, is definitely worth it. But what I was going to say is time-wise, it's just so much more cost-effective and time-effective for me to have the devices at home. Like it really does pay for itself. I'm just thinking about that phrase. It really does pay for itself. Like, is that actually a true statement ever? If you paid for something, can it actually ever pay for itself? I don't know. Well, I think it depends on what it is. Like I sometimes, and this drives my husband crazy. So this is like triggering when I'll say, oh, cost per wear. Like if I buy a pair of jeans or a nice handbag or a nice pair of shoes, I'm like, but if I'm going to wear this every day or three or four times a week, and I'm going to wear it for years, then the cost per wear makes sense versus something you wear once and it sits in your closet. So I think it's the same the same thing. Like as an example, I use my PMF mat every single day and love it. But if I bought something like that and only used it occasionally, then it might not make sense. So I, I think it really depends on the individual. Like I love, we have Restore Hyper Wellness too. And I think they do a fantastic job. I use, I, I use them for IVs in particular around travel because the hydration, you just can't stay hydrated enough when you're traveling. I don't care how much water and electrolytes you consume. But, you know, Melanie, this is a great question for Melanie, because I don't have a Juve device, but I keep saying I'm going to buy one. So maybe this now the impetus to go buy one. You should definitely get, like, I literally can't understand my life without it. I mean, I can, but so the red light in the morning and the evening is a game changer for me. And then the light is so therapeutic. So like when I'm sitting at my desk, it just feels good. Like it just feels good. And then with a targeted treatment, I find it very, very effective with like muscle pain and things like that. So yeah, big fan. And I will agree with the cost per wear thing. I interviewed Matt Simon for his book, A Poison Like No Other, all about microplastics. And he talks all about the role of plastics in our clothing, which blew my mind. I didn't realize that most clothing is largely plastic. Like I I didn't realize just how pervasive plastic is. Like I think I had way too much of a it was in a box in my head that only stuff that was obviously plastic was plastic. I didn't realize that basically everything has plastic. I mean most things have plastic. And so clothing actually sheds a ton of plastic. And so you can tell your husband this, he makes the case that one of the best things we can do for clothing is to buy really high quality outfits and wear them a lot. They stop shedding plastic. So the more you wear them, the less plastic you're shedding. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, my cousin was saying that she wants to have like a capsule wardrobe. And so I was reminding her that one thing I've made a very deliberate effort in the past six to 12 months is to be like ruthless about not buying things I don't need. And so like as an example, like I have, I'm a sweater wearer. I love sweaters. I love to be warm in the winter. And I literally have bought no sweaters this year. So it's like I'm definitely curtailing what I'm wearing. And the thing I was most surprised about was that a lot of athletic wear, you know, like Athleta as an example, I don't have a lot of Athleta in my wardrobe, but a lot of those athletic companies, most of what you're wearing is plastics which is disturbing because you're thinking about like you're sweating in athletic wear, you know, those sports bras and other things. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. It's really, really crazy. The percentage of, and it's even like normal clothes that you wouldn't think are plastic. So it made me feel a lot better because I, I really do wear almost the same thing every day. So I was like, well, doing something good for the environment. So that whole tangent, but yeah. So to answer the question, Amy, 
you can use it all over your body. And you can listen to the ad in today's show about Juve, but we do have a coupon. It gives you a discount. If you go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast. So yeah, okie dokie. Shall we go on to our next question? Sure. So we have a question from Chrissy. The subject is IF and surgical recovery. And Chrissy says, hi, ladies. I've listened to every show and I finally have a question. I've been practicing IF with a whole foods diet for one year now. I've seen so many improvements, including elimination of daily headaches, insomnia, joint pain, and even anxiety. The most surprising improvement was my asthma. Before IF, I took eight inhalations of steroids daily, along with frequent use of my rescue inhaler and nebulizer. This year, I only needed one daily puff of steroid during peak allergy season in July and August, and I never need rescue meds anymore. I made this change to lose weight and was shocked with all the improvements. I've sustained a 35-pound weight loss for the first time ever, and I'm thrilled to be back in size four pants at 44 years of age. Now for my question. I've been experiencing a lot of pelvic pain over the last six months, and ultrasound shows fibroids and a potentially suspicious uterine growth. I'll have a DNC. What is a DNC? Dilation and curatage. Usually they go in and they scrape the inside of the uterus, take a biopsy. I mean, it's a very routine procedure, but still, you know, scary, you know, because you're having a minor medical procedure. Oh, wow. Is that similar to a, um, I, I cannot say the word, a cul colposcopy that's different oh it's different okay so i'll have a dnc with biopsy next month and if it's at all worrisome i will likely opt for a hysterectomy with all of the improvements i've seen i truly believe diet can heal what is the best way to use nutrition and fasting to help myself heal quickly if i do need this surgery i used adf to lose the weight and one or two meals a day to maintain depending on my hunger cues thank you and much love well, Chrissy, thank you so much for sharing all of the success you've had. And, and really, this is a great example of the reduction in inflammation that you experienced with fasting versus the, you know, eat to stoke your metabolism, eat multiple snacks and mini meals a day. I'm sorry to hear that you've been experiencing some pelvic pain and hopefully this will turn out to be, you know, no issues. Just have your DNC and a biopsy that will end up being benign. I would say that from my perspective, the best way to use nutrition and fasting to help heal from surgery is first and foremost, an anti-inflammatory diet. So really removing the most inflammatory foods, which are gluten, grains, dairy, sugar, alcohol, at least for the short term, you know, something that's a whole 30 evoking process and a whole 30 for anyone that's listening is really not designed to be done in perpetuity. It really is just a 30 day anti-inflammatory diet. And it makes it easy because Unlike years ago, when I used to recommend it to patients, there are now Whole30 approved barbecue sauce and other things that just make your life so much easier. So it's really just eating protein, healthy vegetables, fruit, and then just cutting out the most inflammatory foods. The other thing is I'm not a, a huge fan of overfasting, especially because it sounds like now you're at a you're at a happy place in terms of your weight. So I would say, you know, if you're doing fasting, I would still try to get in two meals a day so that you're hitting your protein macros. And protein certainly going to be important in a post-operative period, even in a minor surgery. Hopefully you won't need a hysterectomy. But from my perspective, it sounds like you really laid the foundation to be able to heal. And I would say the additional things that I would consider doing is, you know, removing infl additional inflammatory foods if they're even still part of a part of your diet 
And then also considering making sure you're getting your protein needs met on a daily basis. And so I would say at least, you know, 40 to 50 grams of protein in a meal. So close to 100 grams of protein a day would be a good starting point. Melanie, what are your thoughts? I think we've talked about this on the show before, and I had gone and looked at all the studies that I could find on fasting and surgery, and there were some pretty interesting ones about the benefits of fasting, more so leading up to surgery, and then affecting, it was more stuff like post-operative nausea and stuff like that that it was looking at, but I agree with what you were saying about, it sounds like she's at a good place right now with her fasting, and so I wouldn't overdo the fasting, you know, just because of the surgery and everything. And you definitely, I mean, Cynthia hit on all the points. Like you want to make sure with surgery that you have adequate nutrition for your body to recover and heal. And the anti-inflammatory aspect of that is so, so important. So I would immediately surrounding the surgery, make sure you're getting the meals to recover and making sure that they are the anti-inflammatory meals and just doing what's been working, not not going overly crazy. So separate from probably not surrounding the surgery because there are contraindications with surgery. But when you're beyond all of this, I was just thinking while reading this, if you do still have allergy issues and you've had things like fibroids, so serapeptase that I take, I mean, that is amazing for allergies that personally for me makes allergy season. For me, it's not summer, it's spring. I just react to all the grass, just wipes me out. And I don't have any issues when I take serapeptase. So that might be something that you want to try, Chrissy. So that's my, again, not immediately surrounding the surgery because I think there's often contraindications for that. But when you are on the other side of it, so you can get that at avalonx.us and the coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 10% off. Or you can get a 20% off code if you text AvalonX to 877-861-8318. So that's AvalonX to 877-861-8318. But either way, wishing you the best with your surgery. Normally we have a date, so I'm not sure when this came in, but I am sure it will all go wonderfully. And it's really great that you are super aware of the role of diet in all of this because so many people just are not. I take AG1 several times a week after working out and when I'm ready to break my fast. And it really makes me feel unstoppable. I love to add it to a protein smoothie or actually will drink it with filtered water. And I love both variations. My 17 year old also enjoys AG1 after a workout to ensure he stays really well hydrated. A great deal of what I focus on in my personal life is ongoing gut health improvement. And I do feel fundamentally that AG1 has contributed significantly to improvements in my gut health over the last three years. I feel as if the key health benefits from multivitamins, minerals, pre and postbiotics all work together synergistically to improve my gut microbiome. And AG1 is way more than just greens. It's important to note that it's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients that deliver incredible benefits to the gut microbiome, as well as sleep support, assistance with energy, and so much more. So if you want to take full ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free 
one-year supply of vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I find that these five free travel packs are so convenient when you're traveling. In fact, I was in Los Angeles last week and I used one each day that I was away. Go to athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast. That's athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast and check it out. Shall we go on to our next question? Absolutely. This is from Anne and this is an autophagy question. Hi, I've read that autophagy doesn't begin until one reaches a 24 to 48 hour fast. I cannot go that long. I've been doing 19.5 or 24, meaning fasting for 19 to 20 hours with a four or five hour feeding window. I wanted to know if you believe that we reach autophagy in those fasting hours. Thank you, Anne. All right, Anne, thank you so much for your question. So I might reserve the right to have a part one and then I'm going to do some more research for a part two because I honestly, when I sat down to research this, I was like, oh, I'll find some information pretty quickly. Not so much. So, and this was something I'd been wanting to look into, especially because Peter Tia talks about this a lot and he thinks, he's last that I heard, he thinks that you don't really get any measurable bump in autophagy with just general everyday fasting. So I found one pretty good review, but it was from 2018 and it's called The Effect of Fasting or Calorie Restriction on Autophagy Induction, a Review of the Literature. So that was a review up until 2018. Just a little fun fact really quickly. So that one, I could only find the abstract. If that happens to you, search for the name of the title. Well, A, if that happens to you, ResearchGate often has the full studies. I love that website. If they don't have it, which they didn't, if you search for the title and then add PDF to it, you can sometimes find, well, A, the actual study or B, the submitted manuscript. So that's what I found. So that's how I was able to read the whole thing. But in any case, what was really interesting about that review, and again, this was 2018, so about five years ago, it went deep into autophagy there's actually three main types of autophagy, for example. There's macroautophagy, microautophagy, and chaperone-mediated autophagy. And basically what they have to do is just how, how that process actually happens. But macroautophagy is the one we most often think of. And it was nice to read it because I feel like I've been talking too casually about autophagy. Like whenever I talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's like a cellular renewal process. It breaks down old proteins. And I kind of stopped there, but reading this through made me realize again, just how important this process is. So it helps with so many health related issues. It's necessary for cellular function. The reason I think it's important to draw attention to that is I think people sometimes think that we only get this autophagy process when we're fasting, which is not the case. (laughs) Like it's literally happening 24 seven, literally on some level. I mean, if you think about it, when cells create, they get broken and they have waste products and our body has to get rid of that. Now the level to which you get rid of it and the level to which you get proper autophagy levels might affect how good you are at that process and how much, you know, recovery you get from that. So it's nice to do things that can support autophagy, but it is happening all the time. So that's a little myth to dispel. And what's really interesting is a lot of cellular states can create it. So that includes calorie restriction and fasting, which are two ways that can potentially potently activate it. 
that also have health benefits beyond that compared to things like, so even like infection can create it, oxidative stress can encourage it. So I found that really, really interesting. But in any case, one of the main benefits for autophagy is the effects on neurodegenerative diseases because it can help with that protein buildup that can affect our neurons and create neurodegenerative issues. Here's the thing. That study with the review, the majority of the studies it was looking at, and there were a lot, but they were all in rodents. And I honestly don't know how that correlates to humans for autophagy, just because of how the circadian rhythm of a rodent compares to a human. I don't know if we see the same activation, especially since a 24-hour fast in a rodent is like a huge fast in a human. So the studies in autophagy in humans are actually pretty hard to find. The majority of the ones I could find were in muscle autophagy in humans. And one of the main ones I was looking at was called training state and skeletal muscle autophagy in response to 36 hours of fasting. And it did look at fasting up to 36 hours. So two hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. And what was interesting is it actually depended on whether or not the person was trained or not. It had different responses. So on top of just you as a person fasting, whether or not you're trained might affect your autophagy response. But one of the main things that encourages autophagy is the activation of AMPK and the downregulation of mTOR. So mTOR is activated by food and nutrition and protein. It's a growth stimulus. And then the AMPK pathway is, is activated from fasting and calorie restriction, and it activates longevity pathways. And so it helps activate autophagy. So even if there's not a lot of studies on autophagy, there are a lot of studies on AMPK activation, which does seem to happen while fasting and a dose response curve. So I also found a newer study, a journal article called Physiological Responses to Acute Fasting Implications for Intermittent Fasting Programs. And I'm really sad because I could not find the full article. All I could read was the abstract. And this was a November 2021 study. But something important to note was that the end of it says that a single fast demonstrated the ability to alter glucose, so that's blood sugar, and lipid, that's fat, metabolism, within the initial 24 hours, but variations in protein metabolism appear to be minimal within this time frame. And then here comes the key. The ability of an acute fast to elicit significant increases in autophagy is still unknown. So that was really what I walked away with. And going back to that earlier review I talked about, I found it so interesting and actually a little bit frustrating because it was a very, very deep dive, like a very deep dive. It's very long. It goes into autophagy for all the different individual areas, like autophagy in the kidneys, autophagy in the muscle, autophagy in the heart. But then the majority of the studies are rodent studies. And then at the end, it makes the conclusion that fasting does upregulate autophagy. And it, they're kind of saying that the way it reads is that that applies to humans. But then the confusing thing is the majority of the studies are looking at are rodents. So I don't really know how that extends to humans. And so it's hard to reach the conclusion that it's a very vague conclusion. And I think it's a very vague idea that a lot of people have about fasting and autophagy. And I think we just don't know. Like I think this 2021 study, which was actually published in 2022, 
I guess it was published online in 2021 and in the journal in 2022. I think their summary about it's unknown, that's what I came away with. <laughs> we don't actually know with fasting how in humans how much it's increasing autophagy. All of that said, I'll go back to what I said earlier about we do know autophagy is linked to AMPK. We know that AMPK is activated by fasting and that the longer you fast, you're probably getting more of that stimulus. So I would say that probably the longer you fast, you're getting more autophagy. All of that to say, I wouldn't stress about it too much. I would just know that fasting is creating these beneficial health effects, but I wouldn't do fasting specifically to activate autophagy if that makes sense. If that's the case, I don't know, but you might need to do a longer fast to get like really deep autophagy, kind of like Peter Atia says. That was a long answer. What are your thoughts, Cynthia? No, thank you for that beautiful explanation. I just want to take that and just say that there are other ways to induce autophagy in the body that are not just related to fasting. Because I think oftentimes people forget that there are other ways to upregulate autophagy. And one of those is exercise. And I, I think a lot about high intensity interval training as being one. I think about low carb diets, which can be helpful. I think about hot and cold exposure. I know we spoke earlier about juve and that's a different type of red light therapy, but I always say exposure to extremes. So extremes of temperature can be very helpful. I, I remind people that you know, it's funny, there's there's one podcast that I really like. It's always like short little 15, 20 minute clips. And so Mike Mutzel, who's high intensity health, and he was talking about, would you rather fast really long or just do hit or just do these other things? So just something to consider that there are other ways to upregulate this process beyond fasting. And even hyperbaric oxygen has, therapy has been shown to induce autophagy. And there's even foods that can help induce autophagy like in the brain. And I think about things that are polyphenol rich. So coffee and green tea. I also think about MCT oil, ginger and turmeric as even sulforaphane. There's good research on that as well. So just something to consider. Obviously, I'm coming at it from a different direction. But I know that for myself, I don't like really long fasts. And I think after my experience. It's almost four years ago now. And it's getting, I'm less and less triggered by this, but doing long fast is just not going to be part of my fasting practice, given how long I was unable to eat. So, you know, from my perspective, if you feel like you really struggled to get to 18, 19, 20 hours, don't white knuckle it. Like no one listening to this podcast, that is never the message that we are trying to send. We want there to be common sense. We want you to have success with using this strategy or other types of strategies, but we definitely want you to be cognizant of where you feel like your limitations are. And there's no shame in that whatsoever. Yeah. I am so glad you said that. Yeah. Even coffee, coffee, coffee. Oh my goodness. Even coffee has been shown to upregulate it. And can't believe I forgot berberine. How did I forget that? So my, my most recent supplement berberine, it's actually a potent activator of both AMPK and autophagy, which is super awesome. So its main benefit that people take berberine for is blood sugar control. So it can rival the effects of metformin for its blood sugar lowering potential and its ability to reduce HbA1c. It can help with the gut microbiome. There's actually, I found like an entire paper dedicated to its effect on AMPK, which was an autophagy, which is super awesome. So you can also get that at avalonx.us and those coupon codes will work as well. But yeah, I'm glad, Cynthia, that you drew attention to that, that you know there are a lot of 
ways to stimulate it. And I, I wish I could find it, but there literally there's a study and I just loved it because it literally said autophagy is a process happening 24 seven in the body, which I think a lot of people don't quite realize. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting because both Thomas DeLauer and Mike speak about this a lot. And so even with my team, I've reminded them that, you know, we need to make sure that we're offering different options because there are some people that they would have to white knuckle it to get to a 24 hour fast. And so there's other ways to evoke these processes in the body without having to white knuckle it. Like I'll be completely transparent and say that I loathe being cold but that just tells me that I need to be cold more often. So, you know, doing cryotherapy has become something I do once or twice a week because that's obviously what my body needs. If it's the thing I don't want to be doing, it's generally the thing I need to be doing. That's something that happened since we've talked. I interviewed Thomas DeLauer. I love Thomas. He's so smart. He was really, really great. Super smart. Like he's such a smart guy. Yeah. He likes... Kind of like what I just did with the studies. Like he loves diving. He like really follows the literature. I was really impressed. Like I asked him questions and he just like had all these studies like ready and waiting. Yeah. I'm excited. I'll see him in like less than two weeks. We're both speaking at the same event. He's speaking on Friday. I'm speaking on Saturday, but I'll be able to see him again. He's incredibly like, I I think it's a really good example of a guy who's really well-respected in the space and so knowledgeable. And I tell him all the time, like he'll pull a study that I didn't even, hadn't even seen. And I'm like, oh, I'm down a rabbit hole (laughs) because Thomas did a video on it. Now I need to know more about it. So he does, he does great content on YouTube. Yeah. I thought it was really great. What's interesting is when I had asked for questions from listeners, a lot of the main questions I got, they actually wanted to know about like his family and his wife. And so that's how I started off the show. And I thought it was, I think it was a nice way to start because he was able to speak to like his wife's experience with social media. And it was a really fun conversation. Yeah. I spoke at an event with him. So I met him in October of 2021 and he is as nice and down to earth as they could be. Like it was kind of, you know, Ben Azadi and I, and Anna Quebeca and some other people spoke at this event and he was just so like gracious and he's actually a little bit shy, which I was surprised by. I think people are surprised to learn that I'm shy, but he's really shy, but could not have been nicer. Really nice guy. And he seems like a very devoted husband and and parent to his kids. Yeah. And actually that's how I ended it was asking him about, you know, how he deals with diet and nutrition and all of that with his kids. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. So where are you speaking? I'm speaking at Low Carb Denver. And this is probably the event I've been most excited to speak at because so many of my friends are speaking at it. So it's it's going to be like a big reunion, <laughs> which will be a lot of fun. And then some of my team are, are coming and it's in Denver and we have family in Denver. And so for me, it's it's always a special, a special place to fly to. And I can fly direct, Melanie. That's huge. <laughs> Where I live in the United States, nothing flies direct. So if I can fly direct, it's a win-win. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for this show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. I'm just thinking about how I need to update that page. I really, if anybody is looking for an internship, I should probably start like publicizing this. I I haven't actually 
listed. Have you had an intern before? No, not yet. I need to list this. I just need to like take the step to like put the listing up. But I should probably start putting that out to the universe. If anybody's in school <laughs> and would like to do an internship, I just like would love to bring on an intern. Tangents. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are I have podcast. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. And the show notes for today's episode that will have a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about because we talked about a lot of stuff. So the safe catch, coupon, juve, all the studies, the Avalon X supplements, all the things that will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 307. Alrighty. Anything from you, Cynthia, before we go? No, this has been great. Likewise. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.